Let's start with a good good morning. Everybody, let's just, let's just try this out. Good morning. Good morning. It's good. Isaiah 6, please. Everybody stand. There is no way that I'm going to be able to preach everything that the Lord has given me today, but we'll continue in this new series. Today we begin a new series entitled Worthy, where we're going to be breaking down Isaiah chapter 6 in great detail, in such great detail, in fact, that you're going to be frustrated with your pastor today for not even finishing verse 1. We're going to break down clauses of verse 1. We won't even conclude verse 1, so you can imagine how this journey is going to go. Isaiah chapter 6, the first verse, and then we will pray, uh, and then we'll consider uh, this um, act of ours that we call worship. Uh, If you're there, shout amen. Amen. Okay, help me read. Ready? Read. Filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. What was he doing? Sitting upon a throne. He was high and lifted up. Other versions say high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Oh, how we need your grace this morning, Jesus. We sit at your feet now and pray that you would give us all spiritual ears to hear, Uh, Lord, the grace to apply, Lord. And ultimately, Father, we pray that you would give us mercy today. Grant unto us mercy. We fall woefully short. Our praise, our worship is woefully inadequate. You are God, and you are God alone. There is none beside you. I pray, Lord, just as we sang moments ago, that you would take joy in what we offer you this morning. Be with us now, I pray, as we break open the bread of life. Feed us until we want no more, God. Let your people be edified and your name be glorified. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. A proverbial cookie to the saint of God who knows where we find in the scripture um, King Uzziah. A proverbial cookie, not a real one, an unseen cookie, goes to the person here today that knows where we read about King Uzziah. Is it too early to ask a question like that? Hmm? Somebody, somebody encourage your pastor today. Anybody want to take a wild guess to swing for the fences? No. No takers? All right. Second Chronicles chapter 26. We read of King Uzziah. King Uzziah, just to lay a background, King Uzziah would become king of Judah and he would restore Judah to great prominence. And under his reign, uh, under his reign of 52 years, uh, he would do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Kings and chronicles, ultimately, they would be defined or categorized as men who either did right or did evil in the sight of the Lord their God. That's how they were categorized. There wasn't any polls taken then. They didn't ask the people what they thought. Literally, the Lord would say, and they did what was right or they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord their God. King Uzziah was anointed uh, king uh, at the age of 16 years old. Consider that for a moment. What were you doing when you were 16? Let's not talk about that. At 16, he was uh, given that position of king, 
he would reign over Judah. He would do, watch it now, in the beginning of that chapter, 2 Chronicles 26, read it when you get home. He would do what was right in the sight of the Lord. But later on, as you continue reading, watch it, the Bible says, I'm just going off of memory, the Bible says that as he grew in strength, other versions say as he grew in power, as he grew in might, he was prideful and lifted up. And King Uzziah, who was initially classified as a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, became so strong, so successful in his reign that he became puffed up with pride. Listen carefully. Your Bible goes on to tell us that he would enter into the temple of God and he would take a censer to light incense on the altar. And King Uzziah lifted up within himself with pride, went into the temple of God with a censer to the altar of incense to light incense to the Lord his God, an act of worship. It wasn't that he wanted to do something bad. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but he was out of God's prescribed order. As he's walking in, I want you to get the, the imagery in your mind. As King Uzziah is walking into the temple with a censer lit in his hand, he approaches the altar of incense. And behind him, if I'm not mistaken, I believe up to 80 priests who served in the temple ran behind King Uzziah, urging him not to do what he was about to do. And they said, you must not do this. This is not your job. This is not your right. This is not your position. It's the job of the high priest to do this. This is a priestly act that you're about to do. And still, watch it now, still he approached the altar of incense. And immediately as he approached, the Bible says that he grew wroth. He grew angry within himself because the priest urged him not to do it. He continued, and watch it now, and as he entered into the altar of incense, the Bible says that the Lord his God struck him with leprosy, and he became leprous in his forehead. The priests saw leprosy bust out on his forehead. They saw that the Lord had stricken him with leprosy, and they rushed him out of the temple before he died. They rushed him out of the temple. Being a leper, watch it now, being a leper for the rest of his days, he was segregated and would die in a proverbial hospital. Now, if that wasn't enough, he was obviously banned from the temple of God. How serious, how serious is the issue of worship, especially when you consider the fact that he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How serious is the issue of worship that has to be settled in your heart today? Nothing, this series will have nothing to do with beats, sounds, or things that you think it's going to produce. Nothing to do with that. Everything to do with the essence of what God expects us to do for him. If you think this is going to be about a genre, fast music, slow music, you've already missed the heart of worship. You've missed it. It has nothing to do with style. Worship unto the Lord your God transcends a style. But God, the Lord our God, being holy, being God, he has a way that he has prescribed for us to come. And I promise you, from the pulpit down, for over the last week, God has been so dealing with me, so breaking me all the way down. And here's why. Because I myself, even as the pastor of this assembly, I, my praise and worship to the Lord has been woefully inadequate. It does not match the being that I profess to worship. 
And with all love and sincerity in my heart, I can tell you right now, if all of us would realign our hearts towards what the Word of God teaches us about worship, nobody here would stand, ever would stand with hands at side. No one here would ever walk in irreverently. No one here would ever keep their mouth shut. If you knew who you were really worshiping, your affections, my affections, I'm not laying this at your feet, my affections, your affections, they need to be shifted. They need to be shifted again. They need to be realigned again until that awe, until the awe and reverence of a holy God returns to your heart and soul in such a way that you don't care. You don't care who's around you. You don't come for anybody else. You come to worship your creator. You're not there. I'm not there. We're not there. No one here can say, I'm there. No, you're not. Do you really think that what you gave to him today is befitting of his person? Answer that question honestly. The answer is no, my friend. What is he worthy of from you, us? What does he deserve? What kind of worship does he deserve out of you? Are you here this morning? Read 2 Chronicles 26 about King Uzziah. It's a great chapter. We'll talk about him as the weeks continue, maybe just a little bit. But let's talk about worship. Everybody say worship. What does it mean to worship? Does anybody know? The word worship is defined. Follow me, brother. The word worship, watch it now, is the ascribing of worth. It's a compound word. It's an, the old English word worship, uh, obviously broken into two parts. It is the ascribing or the giving of worth. It's further defined as reverence offered a divine being, extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. Can I tell you right now, everyone worships. The question is, what or who do they worship? Worship is not something that, that Christians only do. Worship is something that every human being does. The question is, who or what do they worship? I'll tell you who or what you worship. Whatever you give worth to, whatever you esteem highly, that's who or what you worship. Some of us worship money. You esteem money higher than God. Some of you worship your career. Your career is more important than the Lord. Whatever you give worth to, whatever you esteem highly, that's what you give worth to. That's worship. The giving of worth. That's what worship is. The ascribing of worth. And that's why we've entitled this, this sermon series, Worthy. Somebody shout, Worthy. How many would say from the onset that God is worthy of your praise and worship? Uh, everybody, right? How many know that God is worthy of praise and worship? I know that he's worthy, but do my actions show that? Many of us have yet to settle the issue of worship in our hearts and lives. You've yet to determine what is truly worthy of your time. You've yet to determine. You've yet to settle the issue of worship. And this is how we know. You, you, your, your relationship with God shows that he's not priority number one. And so you've yet to settle the issue of worship. You've yet to settle it. You might claim to know Jesus, but you've yet to settle the issue of worship. And here's how I know. Because God is not your number one priority. Your relationship with the Lord is not your number one priority. He is somewhere on that that list but he's not at the top you haven't settled the issue of worship 
When you settle the issue of worship, he abides where he belongs. Right there, he sits on the throne of your heart. When the issue of worship is settled, you don't ever have to wonder, should I go to church? Should I worship? Uh, is it once a month, twice a month? No, no. And this isn't just about your attendance. This is about what's behind your attendance. This isn't about what you give. This is about what's behind what you give. The motive, what, it might, what better yet, the, the, the ascribing of worth to, to the Lord. If he's worth it to you, you're going to serve, you're going to give, you're going to worship because he's worthy. He's worth your time. He's worth your talent. He's worth your treasure. Have you settled the issue of worship in your heart? If God is a secondary option in your life, you haven't settled the issue of worship. If God isn't the main thing in your life, you haven't settled the issue of worship. Other things are more important to you. Now think about what I just said. Other things are more important than the God who created you. Think about what I just said. Other things are more important than the God who created you. This is heavy for us, is it not? You see, when I've, I have been preparing, the Lord's just been revealing all these things that I give priority to, even good things, because King Uzziah, he went and he intended to do a good thing out of God's order. Lighting incense on the altar of, on the altar of incense was something, it was something holy. It's what God had prescribed, but that was not his place, nor was it God's way. Can you imagine if the Lord of glory afflicted us with leprosy every time we came to his altar in a way that was out of his prescribed order? Whew. Offering strange fire on the altar of God, going, doing things any old kind of way, uh, saying, well, I just praise him how I pray. I, I praise him how I feel like it. Not realizing that God has a prescribed way. If the queen of England were to come, trust me, we would be given, we would all be given a cloud. Before the queen would enter the room, somebody would come and they would instruct you as to protocol. They would tell you when the queen enters, if you're a man, you bow. If you're a lady, you curtsy. When the queen enters, your head must never be higher than her head. This is protocol for the queen of England. I said the queen of England. Your head must never be higher than her head. She comes before you, you bow. Ladies, you curtsy. You refer to her only as the following and nothing else. We're talking about the queen of England. What about the king of glory? There's a fine line in this paradoxical issue of worship and grace, God's sovereignty and majesty and our humanity and frailty because we are prone and given to lean more towards the side of grace and rightfully so, but we do it at the expense of his majesty. And we say things that might be right, even to a loving and merciful God. Things like this, come as you are. But that grows ever so messy. It becomes blurry. It becomes muddy. When come as you are, it turns into praise how you want. Or give him whatever you think is right. Come as you are has turned in. And I believe in come as you are. You better believe it. I believe it to my core. But come as you are is growing dangerously close to come as you want to come. Come any old kind of way into the presence of God because he doesn't care. And that, my friend, is dangerous. 
because what we're doing is we're teaching a whole generation of churchgoers, not Christ followers. We are raising a generation of churchgoers who do not understand what it is that's taking place for 15 to 20 minutes before the sermon. And forget that, who don't understand what's taking place when they put a dollar in their hand and lay it on the altar. Are you in the house? Now let's look at verse 1. Wow, wow, that was a lengthy introduction. We're in trouble. We are in trouble for the next few weeks. Look at verse 1. Are you there? Shout hallelujah. Uh, let's read together. Ready? Read. In the year. Come on, read it again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now, it is believed that this is when Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, received his prophetic commission. You should know this. In Isaiah chapter 6, some scholars disagree. I, 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 I am not one. I'm not one. I can't claim to be a scholar, but I know enough. I should say that I believe this is where he received his prophetic office in Isaiah 6. Isaiah begins his prophetic ministry in Isaiah chapter 6 with a vision of the Lord. Now, you have to know this. The Bible says in the year of King Uzziah's death, this is important. I gave you a background about King Uzziah. I talked about him more than I intended to. But the scripture, watch it now, Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes note of King Uzziah's death. I believe that's significant because if it's in the word, it's significant. As he's given a vision of the throne of God, watch it now, the Spirit of God anoints him to write in the year that he died. Uzziah's dead, but I'm still on the throne. Uzziah's gone, the one that rose to prominence, the one that restored Judah to prominence. He's dead, but guess what? I'm still on my throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, now let's watch what Isaiah says. He says, I saw the Lord. Isaiah had lived through the last 20 or so years of Uzziah's reign. Under his reign, they were outwardly prosperous, but inwardly he was corrupt. You didn't hear that. During his reign, they were outwardly prosperous, but inwardly corrupt. There was corruption inwardly. The Lord Jesus would say, these people, they do honor me with their lips. I wish you'd help me preach. They honor me with their lips, but their, help me, but their what? But their hearts are what? Outwardly. Outwardly. Praising, outwardly worshiping, outwardly singing, but hearts are corrupted inwardly, far from me, cold, callous. So it was, and Isaiah would see this happening. It's incredible. Isaiah says, watch what B says, the B clause of the text. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Almost everyone in the Bible, give me your attention, almost everyone in the Bible who had a vision of heaven was given a vision of God's throne. Almost everyone who received a vision of heaven saw a vision of the throne of God. That means that the throne of God is central to the worship of heaven itself. Don't miss this. We go down the line. I'm going to give you just a few. Uh, Moses saw the glory of God in Exodus. Follow me, brother. Moses saw the glory of God. Exodus chapter 24, verse 10. Not only Moses, but the prophet Micaiah saw the glory of God. First Kings chapter 22 and 19. And that's a great story to read also. Uh, because ultimately, Jehoshaphat wanted a word. He wanted a word. He wanted him to prophesy rightly something good. Finally, give me something good. And he began to prophesy what appeared to be something good until he kept on talking. And he 
got angry with him. And, he, and then ultimately, this is when the prophet Micaiah would say, <laughs> I, I've seen the Lord's throne. Ultimately, that's a, me paraphrasing. He says, I don't really care what you want me to say. I will speak only what I've seen and what I've heard from the throne of God. Moses saw, he had a vision of the glory of God and it was his throne. The prophet Micaiah saw the glory of God. 1 Kings 22, the prophet Amos saw the glory of his throne in Amos chapter 9 verse 1. Job saw the glory of God's throne. Job chapter 26 and verse 9. David saw the glory of God's throne. Psalms chapter 9 verse 4, 7. Psalms chapter 11. And not only David, but Jeremiah saw God's throne. Lamentations chapter 5 verse 19. Ezekiel saw God's throne. I'm waiting for y'all to wake up eight o'clock in Ezekiel 1 uh, verse 26 and Ezekiel chapter 10 Daniel saw God's throne in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 and uh, there are more but just for the sake of time the apostle John saw God's throne in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and if there is ever a time that we read about God's throne is it not the book of Revelation the book of Revelation could be called the book of thrones in the book of Revelation alone 35 times it talks about the throne of God in in 21 chapter 35 times 21 am I off uh, I might be off don't, don't slaughter me for that 35 times in the book of Revelation we talk about the throne John had a vision of God's throne are you following the theme here anytime somebody was shown God's glory they saw his throne don't miss this they saw his throne this is important. Watch what the prophet says. I saw the Lord. Somebody repeat that. Say, I saw the Lord. Somebody say with me, I saw the Lord. This is important because you have to understand, I believe this wholeheartedly, that our worship, our worship is always going to be rooted in our theology. Our worship is always going to be rooted in our theology. And this becomes problematic for many of us in the church because your worship is always going to be affected or dictated by what you know about God. Let me put it to you another way. Your worship unto God is going to be dictated or determined by your knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. The more you know him, the higher your worship should go. The closer you get to him, the more you see him as he is. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. I know you want me to run through it, but we can't. I saw the Lord. I, I, I need to tell you this. This is important because, number one, our worship is always going to be determined by our view of God. Put it up there. Number one, your worship is always going to be determined by your view of God. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. The question here today is, have you seen the Lord as he is? A theological point here. Isaiah didn't see the essence of Jehovah because no man has seen God and lived, but he saw what, what scholars understand to be Adonai. Uh, John in John around the 12th chapter, I believe, Marlene, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, in John chapter 12, uh, talking about Christ, he said, this is what the prophet Isaiah was talking about. And so John himself in the gospel of John, he says, this is what Isaiah was speaking of. And what was Isaiah speaking of? He was talking about him seeing the Lord. I wonder today, have you seen the Lord because your view of the Lord is going to always dictate how you worship God this is problematic for us in the church because if we don't ever get a right, a right view of him we'll never offer him what he is rightly due if you don't know whose presence you're in you're never going to do it right can you imagine being on a cooking show, Top Chef, or one of those ridiculous things? Can you imagine being on one of those shows? How many of you watch those shows? Be honest. How many watch Top Chef, America's Next Top? 
No, that's model, right? Sorry. Is there a mech? No? Mastership. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Remind me to test you on who the 12 disciples were. <laughs> right? Can you imagine how they have the judges there and they cook something, right? And they have the music on, the scary music, because they bring their plate to them and they lay it down, right? Have you seen this? And they lay it down and then they begin the real, real, real just real pompous, like real snobby thing. They're aware as to who's going to be judging what they offer. And God forbid that they lay something before them that isn't worthy of their acumen, their, 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 uh, their prestige. And so they do their best to, to lay down before them something that is worthy of their expertise. I wonder, what is your view of God today? Consider this. Ask yourself, what's my view of God? Is it high? Is he, is, 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 do I see him as he is? Or do I see him as I want him to be? Years ago, God began to challenge theological issues that were deeply rooted in me. And he said, son, ultimately, not only you, but my people, many of my people serve a God of their own imagination. They, 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 they formulated a Jesus that fits their lifestyle. He's, he's not who I am, and it's not who I am in the text. It's not who I am in my own word. I've revealed myself through the person of Jesus. If you've, seen, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. I gave you Jesus so that you would know my nature, the character, the essence of who I am. I gave you Jesus, but people have a God of their own imagination. So now, depending on what church you go to, on any given Sunday, you'll worship a different Jesus in every assembly. It's different there. It's different over here. It's different over here. And I wonder what's happened. I'll tell you what's happened our view of God and our worship of God ultimately is dictated or determined by our theology this is a problem because our, our theology in these days is quickly declining by theology I simply mean your knowledge of God the better you know him the higher your praise should go but let me tell you why you're out of sync thank you Holy Ghost let me tell you why you, why you and I are out of compliance because if he is the creator of the universe, and he is, and if he is holy, and he is, then what we just offered him 20 minutes ago falls way short of what he's worthy of. I know this is one of those things where, you, where God has, re, he has to realign you. He has to shake you up and be like, wait a minute, whatever you're bringing to me, check it. In fact, can it? I'm about to realign your affections. Because you need to see me as I am. How's that? See clause high and exalted. Have you seen him as he is? Have you ever wondered why people don't look like Jesus anymore? Why people don't talk like Jesus anymore? Why more and more Christians just don't look like Jesus? Because the Bible says in 1 John, it says when we see him, we shall be like him. I'm convinced that people don't look like Jesus, walk like Jesus, act like Jesus because they haven't truly seen Jesus as he is. Matthew Henry said, Isaiah, he, he, he saw Adonai in his dominion. Church, can I tell you, if the people put it up there, if the people don't know who he is, it will have a, a diverse effect on how they worship. As long as we don't know who he is, then it will have a diverse effect upon how they worship. 
Show me a people who don't know who God is, and I'll show you a people who don't know how to worship. And it's not about a style. We're guilty of the same here. I'd like to believe that you know the Lord. How many can say that you know the Lord? Yeah, you should know the Lord, right? Are you saved? If you're saved, you know the Lord. Does anybody know the Lord here? Yeah, right? I'm in the right church, amen? How many can say with confidence, I know the Lord? What you know then should ultimately have an effect on your worship. How well do you know him? I know him pretty well. Does your praise reflect that? Does your worship reflect how well you know him? Look at clause C. Isaiah, secondly, he said, I saw the Lord. But secondly, he said, I saw him. How did he see him? Here's the question. How did Isaiah see the Lord? He saw him high and lifted. Everybody shout high and lifted up. That tells us secondly, and we'll go home here. Number two, that a true vision of his position will alter your affections. Isaiah saw the Lord. Let's begin there. Secondly, he saw him high and lifted up. Notice God gave Isaiah a vision of his throne to work upon his affections so that he would be consumed with such a reverence for God and so that he would ultimately have such a tie to him in service. Let me tell you what happens when you have a proper vision of God's throne. Not only do you understand that he is sovereign and that he rules and reigns, but what happens is when God gives you a vision of his throne, what he's doing is he is changing your affections, the affections of your heart. What he's doing is he's producing, let me help you, he gives birth to what we call reverence and awe. Let me help you here. That reverence and awe that we should always have for him, it, is, it has dwindled down to such a point that you no longer come with humility into the presence of God. We come haughtily we come with pride in our heart because why because we no longer have that all and if, if we no longer have that all it's because we no longer see him how high and exalted if you see him high then we'll stay low and let me help you with something nobody in the scripture came into the presence of God haughtily nobody in fact, the closer they got to the throne of God in John in the book of Revelation, the closer every time, every time God would manifest his glory, John felt like dying. He said, I'm a dead man. Isaiah, we'll get here in a few weeks. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. He said, woe is me. Isaiah was a prophet of God. He's receiving his prophetic mandate, his call to office. And want to know what his response was? His response should be our response. When you get into the presence of a holy God, your cry should be, I am a man of unclean lips nobody gets closer to the presence of God and walks all the more upright no friend let me help you let me show you the let me show you the scriptural progression of worship ready here it is until you're prostrate the progression of worship isn't like this it's the other way around it's you seeing how holy he is and how needy you are of his grace. I wish somebody would say, I need his grace. Some of y'all are looking at me like, you don't need the grace of God. Like, you don't need to be reminded how holy he is today. Do you see him high and lifted up? You're, how do you know? How do I know that you don't see him high and lifted up? Because you, you place other things higher than him. How do I know that you don't see him high and lifted up? Because you put other things above. You have other affections that take precedence in your life. You have an affection. You have greater affection for things, even for other relationships. What happens when, when, when God gives us a vision of his throne, he begins to shift our affections.
Let me, let me put it to you another way. You, you, begin, you begin to lay down all lesser things. Oh, I wish we would sing that song. I lay down all lesser things for greater gain. Let me help you. In light of God's holy presence, all things, not some, all things are lesser things. What's not a lesser thing in the presence of Jehovah? What's not a lesser thing, all that you love, all that you care for in this world, it's a lesser thing compared to him if you see him the way you should. How's that, preacher? High and exalted. How should you see the Lord? Here's the answer. High and lifted up on his throne. We don't have a proper vision of God because we don't see him as high and exalted. We see him on our level. You should see him high above the heavens, in fact, even, because the earth is his footstool. Do you see him high and exalted? His throne, put it up there. His throne is high and it's lifted up above all competition and even above all contradiction. His throne is high. Somebody declare that with me. His throne is high. His throne is high and not only is it high, but it's what? It is lifted up above all competition. That tells us that there is no throne on his level. I wish you'd help me here. There is no throne on the level of God's throne. It's not just a throne. It is the throne. Your worship, it shows what you really believe about the Lord, what you really think about the Lord. I don't have to ask you. I don't have to ask you what you think about him. I don't have to ask you how much you love him because your worship will tell me. It will show me what you really think of him. All I have to do is look at your attendance. All I have to do is look at your giving. All I have to do is look at how you serve him. You tell others what you think of him. When he's high and exalted, your life's going to show it. People at the, it's cliche, I don't even like to say it. People, I hear people say all the time, worship is a lifestyle. They don't even realize what it is that they're saying because if they really believe that worship was a lifestyle, then their life, their style of living would reflect his glory, his awe, that reverence. And not only that, but the reality of his sovereignty. You ask them, do you know him as Adonai? Is he Lord of your life? That's who Isaiah saw. The words you say to him, put it up there, the words you say to him, ultimately they reveal what you believe about him. Psalms 34 and 3 and 4, I'm done. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. How do you magnify the God of the universe? It's not that he can get any bigger. The shift and the magnification takes place on your end. How do you make God any bigger than he already is? You can't. The magnification takes place. How many of you had biology in school? I'm out of time. How many had biology? Do you remember that far back? How many have ever looked at a microscope? Have you ever looked at a microscope? Or a magnifying glass? How about that? Have you ever tried to kill an ant? Y'all ain't talking to me. Have you ever tried to kill an ant? People that do that love the devil. I'm sorry. Shame on you. I've seen kids just burning ants up, just burning them, just... Andres Jr. come. Have you ever seen, you remember in biology where you had a microscope? I'll never forget that where they gave us those slides, those little slides of micro, uh, microorganisms. You remember putting them in the, in the thing? You couldn't see anything. It just looked like a smudge. But when you put it under the microscope, what, what happened? You saw it what? You saw an organism, a living, moving thing. Watch it. It's not 
It's not that the organism changed, adjusted, or shifted in any way. It remained intact. What happened was you were given an instrument that allowed you to see that thing properly. What happened? It's called magnification. We have telescopes that allow you to see thousands of miles away. It's not that those things moved closer. It's just that the instrument you were using allowed you to see what it was you were trying to behold. It's called magnification. When the psalmist says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, uh, what he's telling you is not that God can be any bigger than he already is. What he's saying is your perspective of God is about to shift. It needs to change. I need to see him as he truly is. And guess what? That's as the big, big, big. However big you think he is, he's bigger than that. However holy you think he is, he's holier than that. We'll talk about the seraphim in a few weeks, how they say holy, holy, holy. But this is the exhortation, brother. Give it to me now. Here's the exhortation for you today. My voice is almost gone. Pray for me. See God upon his throne. Can I exhort you with all love, with all, with everything I have in my chubby little heart, I exhort you to see the throne of God. See the throne of God today. But don't just see it. See it as it is, high and exalted. Ask God to shift your affections. Whatever's pulling at your heart, whatever has your devotion, ask him, God, do away with it. Give me a vision of your throne again. Let me see you as Adonai, the sovereign Lord. Lord, shift my affections. Everything I love, everything that takes preeminence over you, shift it, change it, change it, change it, until you're number one. Is this your prayer today? Church, I have things, I have affections that God is beginning to tear down and realign right now. And so do you. How do you know that? Because what we just offered him a moment ago is woefully inadequate for the being that he is. If Queen Elizabeth would be given great honor here, how much more the king of glory. We don't worship Queen Elizabeth. She's old and about to meet her creator. Let's honor the king of glory.